I will be reading the sermon text, which is in Mark, starting with chapter 4, verse 35, through chapter 6, verse 6. So hopefully you can follow along, especially since it's a long uh, scripture passage, but very interesting and very powerful. All right, starting with Mark 4, verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and the other boats were with him. And a great wind storm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, and, Jesus, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and 
everyone marveled. And when Jesus had crossed again into the, in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around, about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she had said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the, her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talithat kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went among, among the villages teaching. The word of God. Amen. 
Good morning, everyone. It is, um, as always, great, great to welcome those who've uh, come back from the holidays or recovered from the sickness or especially visiting here for the first time. Um, a very, very warm welcome. Uh, let's, let's get right down to it um, this Sunday, uh, as Andres already uh, got us up to speed and introduced the theme. Let me ask us a question that we can think about for a few seconds. And the question is, how big is your Jesus? How big is your Jesus? Now, whether we are conscious about that or not, this is the question that we are actually asking ourselves every day. Jesus, Jesus is big enough. Is Jesus big enough to carry me through my exams and tests? Is, is Jesus big enough to help me through my job interview? Is, is Jesus big enough to get me through a, a tough relationships phase, maybe in the work, or uh, maybe with my friends or long-term friends? Is Jesus big enough to sort out my, my family issues, my marriage, my relationships with children? Is Jesus big enough to deal with my increasingly concerning health issues. How big, how big is your Jesus? Now, in the three following, well, actually four following stories, we see Jesus's awesome power in macro scale. Jesus has authority over devastating nature. Jesus has authority over destructive evil and Ultimately, Jesus' authority over unstoppable death. But that is not all. Jesus enters with his power into people's lives. Now, did you spot how all, all four stories are somewhat similar in what they tell? People are in desperate situations in all four stories, really desperate situations. Then Jesus enters their situation and people's lives are changed. That's what all four stories share. In desperate situations, Jesus is powerful to save. Now, friends, I know some of you, some of you from Ukraine have your families and loved ones there. Some of them are actively resisting Putin's regime, engaged in a war. How important it is to know that Jesus is powerful to save. Now, some of you have a desperate situation in your extended family. How important it is to know that Jesus is powerful to save. Now, let me tell you, some of us have known the devastating pain of losing a child. And most of us really know what it means to say goodbye to a loved one standing right, right beside the graveside. And how important it is to know that Jesus is powerful, ultimately powerful to save. Now, if that is the, if that is the big, the big thing uh, for today, why not, Mark, just say this, you know, say this in one sentence and maybe two and give a short illustration of that and we move on. Why, why bother Gene reading the whole big, so four, four 
big stories. And thanks very much, Jean, for doing that. Because I think Mark really wants to achieve something through these stories in us. Now, remember, we not only have to ask, what does Mark say here? We also have to ask and see, how is he doing that? How is Mark saying that? And he wants to engage our feelings and guide us to respond accordingly. He wants to do something in us emotionally too. And to achieve that, Mark uses the power of story. Stories can be powerful. And we have the whole four stories. So let's move through them fairly, fairly speedily. In desperate situation, Jesus is powerful to save. Now, our first story is, is disciples that are caught in a storm. After some extended teaching time, Jesus initiates a little boat trip with his disciples. All seemed to go well, but suddenly, verse 37, a great windstorm arose. In fact, the storm was so great that the boat had started to sink. I mean, disciples, the disciples were not tourists. The disciples were highly experienced fishermen, but they were terrified and they thought they are going to die. Now, people sometimes take this story and talk about the storms in their lives. And it's not wrong, it's not wrong, but Mark wants us to have goosebumps, really, as we see the raw power of the nature bringing fear of death. He really wants us to, to be shaken by it. Now, I believe it was 2014. Oh, yes, yes, Timothy was one year old, though, so, so that was 2014. And our family, with one child, we were invited to stay with our family friends in Sweden. And what is the most, most adventurous, adventurous way to get to Sweden from Riga? It's, of course, it's ferry. That's the most adventurous way to do that. Uh, it was a very lovely, it's a very lovely summer day, and we departed from uh, Port Riga, and we were having this little tour uh, on the ferry, and that is when I overheard a couple of staff people talking, oh, you know what, I heard you. we're going to have these six-meter waves tonight. And I didn't quite know what that meant until the night came, and so... It did. We were asleep, but suddenly I feel someone is just, you know, pushing me. And it was, was my lovely wife, Madara. Uh, Timothy was asleep, I was asleep, but she wasn't. Now, um, sorry, slightly embarrassing, Madara. But, well, uh, Madara was quite sure that we are going to uh, sink. In fact, she was sure that we are already sinking. In her mind, the, the lower deck with the cars was already filling with water. Now, now picture that. And, and so, of course, I mean, I got suddenly woke, you know, what, what, what's going on? And, and so we decided 
Right, let's go back to the first deck or whatever and see people and kind of calm down that, that the ship is not sinking. But I, it was of little help because as we were making our way at the first deck or, or something, uh, we had the, the wine bottles falling from the shelves. It, it's not a calming sound, actually, to experience. <laughs> and so I realized that Madara is in panic. And, and, and so, we, so we, kind of, we walked around, we went back to our, our room, and um, we, you know, we prayed, we read a psalm or something, and we tried to get some sleep. Now, the only one who wasn't bothered at all with a storm was our one-year-old. Timothy slept through the whole night like this. Um, and he did it like a baby because he's a baby. He slept like a baby, which is what, friends, Jesus does in our story here. He sleeps, verse 38, like a baby. Now, I love the, I love the detail. Uh, he sleeps on a cushion. Well done for the person who put a cushion in that boat. I mean, love the detail. Well, just imagine the complete chaos around them. Disciples screaming, shouting, fairly convinced that they're going to sing, they're going to die. And, and Jesus sleeps. Now, how big is the disciples' Jesus, would you think? Not really big. Verse 38, disciples Jesus is a teacher who doesn't care. They have completely forgotten how Jesus moved with, with compassion, cleansed the leper from his disease. Now, it was all great to see Jesus do things for them, right? Yeah, it, it looked impressive. Can he do anything now in the midst of this devastating storm because we are dying can he do anything now for us? But Jesus can, and he does. Verse 39, and he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Now, no wonder the disciples had to reevaluate. How big is that Jesus? 41, verse 41. Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now, indeed, who can say two words? In Greek, it's two words. And turn great storm into great calm. Who can do that? Now, Andre is encouraged, some of us. Do you want to try sometimes in your holidays by the, by the sea or wherever you are, try to calm the crazy, crazy storm? Now, try it. Just make sure nobody sees you, okay? Otherwise, you'll, you'll be followed by a doctor and who, who else? Uh, poli police, yes, police. Now, friends, initially I thought to pause here, right? I, I thought to pause here and apply Jesus being really powerful in, in our storms, storms of life. But then I changed my mind. I changed my mind because I think, I think I want to leave the application towards the end this time because of the way Mark, Mark guides us through all four stories. So let's see all four stories, right? And then think about applying the power of Jesus to our daily lives.
Anyways, we see Jesus is powerful to save people in desperate situations. Chapter 5, verse 1, they came to the other side of the sea. They're safe. To the country of Gerasenes. The disciples are safe. Praise God. Now, which you can't say about the people of Gerasenes. And this is our second story uh, from, uh, in chapter 5. The madman in cemetery. Now, Jesus had barely set foot on the land, and we already see Mark's favorite word popping up. Did you notice that? Immediately. That's one of Mark's favorite words. Immediately. Immediately we meet people in desperate situations. At first we meet this madman from the cemetery. The scene is pretty grim. The demon-possessed man is, glance at verse 3, he's super strong. Verse 5, he is self-inflicting. He's cutting himself with stones. And verse 2 and 3 and 5, he's, he's living in the shadow of death. Mark three times repeats where he is. He's in the tombs. He's in the tombs. He lives in the tombs. He lives in the shadow of death. Now, it does seem to be a hopelessly desperate situation. Just think about it. A super strong madman in the cemetery raving 24-7. How how hard must he be suffering? But then there are the families of these town men who have tried to bind this strong man, even with the chain, Mark says. Imagine those families living in the area, never feeling safe, always looking over their shoulder. Mom's warning their children not to go anywhere near the cemetery. It is a life in a terror. I remember an episode from the time when my brother and I were spending our summer school holidays in northwest Latvia. Now, right next to our grandparents' flat, block of flats, there was a house. It was a pretty run-down house. And we were told by our granny to stay away from that house. Why? Because in that house lived a madman. Now, th this guy, uh, I don't remember how old he oh, was. He Was he slightly older than us? Now, he would walk out and then he would just occasionally shout. He would shy, shout. He would throw things around if he was upset. And so we sometimes observed that from the distance. But we knew that our, our granny said, don't go anywhere near and then we saw how other boys, the older boys, they came and they teased him. They teased him because he was different and he was mad. And then he picked up these stones and he was really powerful. He can throw these stones very, very far. He could even get them. I mean, when I just recall that instance, it was a very sad, a very desperate situation. He lived together with his mom and she was always, always... Um, quiet, always sort of depressed. Uh, it, it, was a, it was, you know, a situation for all the neighbors who had to warn their children not to go any, anywhere near. If only, if only Jesus, if only Jesus would be in that situation. If only Jesus would be there, things could change. Well, in our story, friends, Jesus is around and things change. 
verse 6 of chapter 5. And when this madman saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I enjoy you by God, do not torment me. Now, how unbelievably awesome. Did you notice the contrast? None of the town men together could bind this guy, even with a chain. No one. And yet when he sees Jesus, he falls at his feet like a puppy, like a puppy in submission. Wow. Just think, a man filled with evil spirits in a size of number of a Roman legion, five to four to five, four to six hundred thousand, sorry, men. That, that obsessed man begging Jesus for peace like a puppy. Just who is this Jesus? Who is he? Now, what happens next is most bizarre from verse 10. Let's read from verse 10. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now, a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Now, I've always thought that this is an amazing picture for the Hollywood, an even more amazing picture for the Bollywood. To be honest, I've, I've, I haven't seen any Bollywood movies, so you like Indian guys, you have to get me up to speed sometimes, invite me for the Bollywood movie night. I, believe, I think, I think it would be more impressive even in the Bollywood cinema. I've always uh, counted this. But people, people don't seem to think that. They are really more concerned with the question about the pigs. What's with the pigs? Why is Jesus so dismissive of pigs? Well, A, he was not familiar with the animal rights back in the first century. Probably that's why. That truth be told, there are a number of suggestions from various commentators about the pigs. So let me just throw out some of these. Jesus did it, they say, as a visual demonstration that the demons had left the man. Could be. Or to reveal the horror of what the demons would have done to the man given time. Also could be. Now, also, Jesus did it to trick them into destroying themselves, meaning the evil spirits, you know. Sorry, and here is the more radical approach. Jesus did it to destroy the Roman legion's food supply in a Jewish patriotic gesture. That is a bit kind of weird. And here's my favorite. Here's my favorite. Jesus did it to give the Sea of Galilee a meaty taste. I mean, <laughs> this I stole from my pastor friend, okay? This is not mine. I, I, I stole this, I confess. But it was really, I, th I thought it was really funny. In all honesty, friends, Jesus, well, Mark simply doesn't, doesn't, tell, doesn't tell us why Jesus did it. Why the pigs? We don't know. 
What Mark tells us is how life-changing it was for the demon-possessed man. Glance at verse 15. He was, he was sitting, not running around like crazy. He was clothed, not naked. And he was in his right mind, not raving and cutting himself with stones. The story with the pigs is there to draw how great a contrast it is when Jesus comes, when he comes in and changes a life, how great a contrast it is. Again, in desperate situation, Jesus is powerful to save. And finally, our last story, or rather two stories that are mutually connected. Do you remember what Mark does sometimes? He makes a sandwich. He makes a sandwich of their stories. So we see Jairus and his daughter. Then we see woman with a hemorrhage, with discharge of blood. And again, Jairus and his daughter. And what Mark does is he explains the story of Jairus and his daughter with the story about the woman in the middle. That's how he explains the story. So we see a desperate father. We see a desperate father who risks his status, who risks his job to save his little daughter. A ruler of the synagogue coming to Jesus for help is a good enough reason for seeing that as treason. But what do you do when your child is at the point of death? What do you do? Verse 23 Jairus says, come and lay your hand on her so that she may be made well and live. And Jesus went with him. Now, but the journey is not so straightforward at all. As a great crowd is pressing on Jesus, a woman sneaks up to him from behind and touches Jesus. Now, she too is in a desperate situation. Verse 26, her particular sickness had made her ritually unclean. She shouldn't get up to people or even touch them. It has made her outcast, therefore, outcast from the society. And we see verse 26, it has bankrupted her. She had seen so many doctors that she's run out of money. And so Jesus had her reports, well, she has heard reports about Jesus, and she has had decided that Jesus is her final option. Now, same as with a leper, the woman was not allowed to touch anyone again, let alone rabbi, a rabbi, but she did. And behold, immediately she was healed. Verse 29, immediately she was healed. We see in desperate situations, Jesus is powerful to save. But Jairus didn't know that. The only thing on Jairus' mind was, why is Jesus stopping now? Why is he stopping to inquire about who has touched him? 
When my daughter is at the point of death, what is he doing? Now, whenever I see an ambulance in, in, in the Riga streets with sirens and lights going, I have this custom, you know, I, I say a quick, a quick silent prayer. I say, Lord, please have mercy on that poor soul and may the doctors make it on time. You know, may, may the doctors make it on time. Now, it looks like for Jairus, the ambulance didn't make it on time. Glance at verse 35. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Now, can there be worse news for parents? In desperate situations, Jesus is powerful to save, but your child is dead. Your child is dead. Now remember that, that Mark is putting this together for his readers, not necessarily for his eyewitnesses, no, for the readers. He has connected the two stories for our benefit, for our sake. As we follow Mark's story, he gives us hints about how the Jairus' and his daughter's story is going to end. Now, what are these hints? The woman was sick for 12 years. Jairus' daughter is 12 years old in verse 42. In verse 34, Jesus calls woman daughter. Jesus calls Jairus' child Talitha, which is in Aramaic is little daughter. So what's, what, what is Mark's purpose? His purpose is to tell us that whatever happened to the woman, to the woman in the middle story, is what's going to happen with the story that is on either side. Namely, once again, Mark affirms that Jesus is powerful to save. Now, friends, we already had the overtones of death in these stories. Did you notice that? Jesus' disciples thought they are going to perish. They are perishing. They're going to die. Now, the, the legion, the legion, the madman, he lived in the tombs. Namely, a walking dead. But this is something different, isn't it? The child's heart has stopped. The child has stopped breathing. The little daughter's body is getting cold. That is it. Why trouble the teacher any further, his friends say. Now, friends, if, as Jairus is about to give in to the devastating grief about his deceased daughter, that is when he hears these words from Jesus. Glance at 36. Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. Verse 41, taking, by, taking her by her hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, Little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up 
and began walking. And Jesus ordered to give her a bowl of Cheerios. Now, in desperate situations, Jesus is powerful to save. And maybe, you know, some of you are thinking, well, Andis, you have been dragging us through these four stories for the last 30 minutes. What is really the point? Well, it seems to be just this. Do not fear, only believe. Jesus said pretty much the same thing to his disciples in our first story. Did you notice that? Verse 40 of chapter 4. Why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? So how big is your Jesus? Now we could say that all four stories teach one thing, right? Jesus is powerful to save, so we should not be afraid of anything if we trust him. I am barely hanging in there with my exams and tests. Jesus is powerful to save, so I don't have to be scared. I really need this job to make, um, to make my ends meet. Jesus is powerful to save, so I don't have to be afraid. I'm so scared about my my family in Ukraine. Jesus is powerful to save. So I don't have to be scared. I'm so worried about the health of my, my spouse, my child, my mom, my dad, my, my siblings, my sister or brother. But Jesus is powerful to save, so I don't have to be afraid and worrying. But... But what if the worst scenario happens? Now, friends, let's think for a moment. What if we fail in our exams, students? What if we fail in our exams? What if we do not get the job or promotion? What if, what if you reach a, a dead end financially this month? What if you actually lose the most precious person in your life? What if the worst scenario happens? Now, just yesterday, I received news from one of our family, friends, um, and his wife um, had miscarriage last week. Now, I wrote to them yesterday how sad I was to hear about their loss and that I am praying that God in their sorrow and immense grief would strengthen them to keep trusting Jesus. No matter their pain, keep trusting Jesus who raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. But how do you do that? Now, how do you personally do that? How can I make sure my Jesus is big enough when I am caught between the rock and the hard place, when the worst possible scenario in my life has happened, how do I keep clinging to Jesus? My friends, here is, I think here is the bottom line of the four stories. We will not fear anything at all in our lives if we fear Jesus most.
Can I, can I say this again? We will not fear anything in our life if it is Jesus we fear most. I'm fairly convinced that this is where Mark is leading our response today. Because we have to account for one thing in these four stories, or most of the stories. And it is people in our stories who are well now and who are safe, who are on the safe, in the safe, but who are still terrified and afraid. Did you notice that? They are afraid after they are well. Glance with me in three instances. Chapter 4, verse 41. The disciples are safe. The storm is over, but what do we read there? They were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who is this? And glance at chapter 5, verse 15. The village is safe now. And the people came to, the Je to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had, had legion, sitting there clothed in their right mind. Praise God, we are safe. Hey, let's throw a big party. But what do we read? And they were afraid. And finally, chapter 5, verse 32. The woman is healed. Praise God. She's healed. Happy. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. But friends, it is more, even more subtle. The, the Jesus of disciples and the village folk and the Jesus of the of his village in chapter 6 we're not going to touch it on it at all but these people their Jesus is not big enough at this point their Jesus is not big enough and therefore it doesn't produce the right response of faith and trust no the village people say, Jesus, we've seen your power. You're the only one who could tame this madman. But please go away. We don't want you. The disciples don't produce, actually, the response of faith and trust. Who is this? We, don't. we barely know him. Who is this? But the Jesus of the woman who was healed is big enough. In other words, the woman knew the real Jesus. Now, how does the fear of Jesus and trembling before his name change things? How does, how does the fear of Jesus change things? Well, friends, I think this is the litmus test of whether you will continue clinging to Jesus even when all the hell breaks loose in our lives. Now, history is full of countless examples of how Christians have suffered terribly, terribly, how they have lost their homes, their jobs, 
their spouses, their children, and their own lives. Countless examples. Maybe you have examples in your own life that you know of Christians suffering terribly, terribly. And yet the response to their tragedies have always clearly shown if they know the real Jesus or not. Do you, do you know what I mean? Those who know the real Jesus will keep trusting him, even in the face of unspeakable grief and loss, because there is a greater, a greater and more awesome person to be feared in their life, and that is, that is Jesus. But those who do not know the real Jesus turn their back on him, facing the same circumstances. Now, friends, I clearly realize we are talking about the process in our lives. There is no point where one arrives and says, well, well now I fear Jesus, so I am in the safe for the rest of my life. No, we grow. We grow in that view of the awesome, awesome power of Jesus daily so that we keep going daily, trusting him. But I think, I think, To know the real Jesus means to fear him more than anything that scares you in this life. This is not, um, this is not to be afraid for your life, you know, like, like it, it is when we face the tra things, tragedies, obstacles of this life. This is not the same, but this is to know the risen Lord personally. I think the single verse that really summarizes the whole of our story, our passage today, comes from Revelation chapter 1. Do, do you want to turn to Revelation chapter 1? I'm going to close this with this verse. It's the last book of the Bible, Revelation, and it's the first chapter of the last book, Revelation chapter 1, verse 18. It, there is everything. It, it's a concise summary of the whole passage. It is identity of Jesus. It is a right response to Jesus, and it is a, such a hope and encouragement for us from Jesus. Verse 18. When I saw him, namely Jesus, I fell, John says, at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. John is encouraged not to fear Jesus because it is Jesus who he fears most. He falls at his feet like dead, like a woman with fear and trembling. And then we hear these words, do not fear. Friends, if we fear the one who has died on the cross, conquered the death, is the living one who keeps all hell from breaking loose, then we can trust him for our life and death, even if we feel the whole hell has broke loose. Let's pray.
our loving Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your Son, Jesus, your powerful King, who is there. He is indeed powerful to save people in desperate situations. And Father, we ask, please, please fill us with the awesome, awesome fear of this Jesus, who himself died and rose again, conquering the death, holding in his hands the keys of death and Hades, so that when we find ourselves between the hard place and the rock, we would cling to Jesus alone for our life and death, even when we feel that everything around us is completely ruined. We ask you really, really, help us to get to know the real Jesus more. We ask that in his precious and powerful name. Amen.